episode 23 of VIP Boxing's Bell to Bell podcast. You can watch us on VIP YouTube or search for us on Spotify or iTunes. Download and have a listen. And if you can leave a comment, particularly on iTunes, fantastic. I'm Steve Lillis and with me as always, my co-host John Evans. Are you okay, John? I'm good, Steve. I'm good. It's good that we've got the housewife's favourite, Alex Stephen, on with us this week. Well, you've introduced him. But, you know, great pal of mine from Fox Nation, even bigger power, John Evans. You know, a bit of a sexy voice, uh, you know, behind the mic at all these MCK shows these days that are keeping him busy every week. And uh, welcome to the pod for the second time, Steve. But one question. Who kitted you out for Cheltenham last week? What an outfit you had on one day on, on, on Twitter. I saw a picture. You must have been the bravest man at Pres- Presbury Park, they called it last week. They, them jockeys, must have, instead of going to weigh in, they must have given you a stand innovation as you walked across the paddock. Steve, you know, in the boxing game, I'm Steedo. And when I go in the, the National Hunt jump racing game, I'm Tweedo. That's the way I... That's the, <laughs> That's the way I cut it, mate. But tonight I've got on my um, my Adidas threads. Like you, I'm like the Imelda Marcos of the of the Adidas world. So I was spoiled for choice. I've gone for the. I think last time I might have been in the orange and black. Tonight I'm in the black with the orange trim. Yeah, but all I can say is we usually talk boxing and ask a boxing question at the start of that. But full full pelt to your tailor for last week. John might want to ask you a boxing question. I'll I'll spoke to you about clothes. <laughs> You know, I was just thinking then, it's not about clothes because no more can be said on that matter, but everyone says that boxing misses the crowd so much, but Cheltenham misses them more than anything. Everybody, even if you're, you're not a fanatical horse racing fan, you watch Cheltenham, you bet on every race. So what was it like being down there with no fans? That must have been half the experience. Yeah, I, do you know, I wasn't actually there. I was like you, I was watching from home. Um, there was kind of limited numbers in terms of, press that could go. Uh, the channel I worked for actually had me at Huntingdon on Wednesday, which is where steve saw me all tweeted up. So yeah, it was a bit weird watching it, wasn't it? Um, it was, it felt a bit neutral, really. It felt a bit dampened. Luckily, the sport was of a high order, to, I think, to carry it through. And the stories were fantastic with Rachel Blackmore doing so well. But um, yeah, it was a bit weird. Yeah. You know, what about that Tiger Roll? What a horse that is, isn't it, eh? I know. Took him out of the Grand National, Steve. Can yeah. you believe? I think. I think as a, I think as a kind of um, get on the front foot political decision. And now, uh, although they had a spat with the, the British handicapper as well, but yeah, such a shame because he could have been chasing history. He's going to go to entry, but for another race, not the Grand National. Real shame. Final question on racing: If he'd gone in the Grand National, Alex, and you, you'll tell me, and it's mm. ignorant of horse racing. Would he have been like a six to four favourite to get round? Would it have been a case of if he, st- if he stands up, he wins the race? Don't think so, because until he did what he did at Cheltenham, he disappointed on his reappearance. There was talk of him being over the hill and, and he didn't have it anymore. We've heard that in boxing, haven't we? Uh, plenty of times. So to be honest, nobody knew. And the, the performance slightly came from nowhere, So, but he rolled back the years. Had he gone, were he to go to the Grand National on the back of that performance, he'd be a warm favourite, not a six to four shot, but I, I think you'd be looking at him being sort of five to two or something like that on the strength of what he did at Cheltenham, I'd, I'd say, but we're not going to get to find out. All right, well, let's talk boxing and uh, you talk about Tiger roll rolling back the years. John Evans is going to roll back the years, but at the end of the three minutes, you, you hear that bell, 
So, John, start us with round one this week. Let's just get the timer going. Yeah, let's talk about um, Virgil Ortiz, who uh, made his latest appearance this weekend. Looked look pretty good against Maurice Hooker. Um, good bit of matchmaking, that, I think. You know, Hooker's good enough to, to teach him something, but uh, frail enough to be taken out. But I was probably impressed more by his attitude afterwards than I was his performance. You know, he said, I want Terence Crawford. He said, I might not be ready for it, but I want it. I want to test myself. And I thought it's an attitude that puts a lot of those welterweights to shame. You know, five, six years ago, what a division that was. You know, some of the names, we had styles for everything. It, it could have been a, a great era for the welterweight division. And they have fought each other, I suppose, over the years, but it's all been at the end of months of negotiation, haggling and arguing about wages and prices. Um, I just hope that maybe Virgil Ortiz, Jaron Ennis are, are welcoming in a new era where they actually do want to fight. You know, Ryan Garcia's talking big and seems to want to test himself. I just hope that these new breed of fighters don't get their enthusiasm and their ambition dampened by the promoters. Yeah, and you know what, you talk about a new breed and the old breed there, and I'm wondering now, is Terence Crawford sort of a low-risk, high-reward fighter? Because he didn't seem as keen on the fight as, as anybody else. Um, you know, Aaron did say, in, I mean, back in January, I read, remember reading Bob Aram saying that Oscar De La Hoya came to, to his house for a social visit, and they talked about the potential of Ortiz and Crawford. It seemed to me that Ortiz was a lot more than Crawford was after that fight for the meeting. Yeah, I, 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 I think one of the worst, worst culprits, Danny Garcia, courtesy of that whole PBC thing, you know, fighting sort of, you know, four times in three years or five times in four years, that sort of nonsense. They're getting paid too much, Steve-O's, the, yeah. the simple... The simple mathematics of it is as simple as that. Um, so I'd like John says, uh, refreshing, probably talking out of his class. I think it's fair to say, um, Ortiz. I mean, it, it, he's great to watch. I kind of look at him right now as um, slightly better than Brandon Rios. I think in his time, he's 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 yeah. a bit front foot face first. I think he's better than Rios, but he's relying on his his gloves essentially taking taking punishment and against someone like Crawford you know he's going to find the, the gap so it's, it's great to hear it's great to watch him fight and you'd love for him to be the antidote to some of these um, other characters and Crawford is I mean all he wants is the Manny Pacquiao fight doesn't he I mean he's that he's among the worst alongside Garcia I genuinely believe that um I genuinely believe that um, perhaps Spence is the one who really wants to fight everybody. I, I think Spence would if if he could, but um, I, I don't know about whether Crawford and, and that fight is going to come off. The one that would make perfect sense would be Kavielowskis. What a shootout that would be. But again, he's been with top, top rank. And Steve, the problem is, and John, John will say, they're all with different TV companies. That's the big thing. And Mikey Garcia is the only one who I think maybe, having fought on a matron bill, could maybe slip in. But he fights even less than the rest of them. Oh, he's getting annoyed at that bell. You, you, you've thrown about eight shots after the bell there. So, Alex, we'll throw <laughs> you for round two, and you've got a bit about boxing sleepers. 
Yeah, this is, and it's inspired by Maxie Hughes. What a fantastic story. I called his British title uh, win just the, the, the other uh, Friday. Um, I called his, his fight against Katochigov. I called his fight against John O'Carroll as well. I think he was Boxing News' most improved fighter of 2020. John Evans will know his story more than most uh, with his, his time in and around Josh Warrington and, and that particular gym. But it got me thinking about guys who either... It could be journeymen, it could be guys who've got to area or just below British title level, who if they got the backing, got themselves in the right gym, got themselves with the right mindset and basically got everything together, whether they could be a Maxi Hughes. And, and there's got to be loads. There's a few that sprung to mind. Um, actually, there was a guy called Nathan Benden from the West Midlands yeah, who fought he, on the same- double night on your show, yeah. He, he's a guy, I mean, the way he was rolling in and out, he couldn't do it because he wasn't fit enough. He couldn't do it the whole time. But the way he did that in spells, he's a guy who's got ability if he had the, the right sort of backing. Scott Moises, who you'll know yeah, yeah. As, a, as a difficult journeyman, he's a guy who could probably fight for a British title. And a, a guy that John Evans knows as well, that I've seen uh, both as a commentator and my brief spell as an MC, Daryl Sharp. Um, up in Man the Manchester scene. He's a guy who could probably get a run as well if he had the right backing. So sleepers in boxing, there's probably quite a few. There's quite a few. Well, the most famous one in recent times was Willie Warburton. Willie Warburton. Um, yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt, what he could have gone on and achieved is um, nobody's business. And the one out there right now who he, he, he chose to go on the road is a guy called Jordan Grant. And I've, I've gone to that John all the time. A brilliant amateur. I think he had 20 amateur fights, won an ABA, won the lot, got in a bit of bother. Um, he come back, went professional. His promoter said to him, well, you're not going to sell tickets. You go on the road, and he's on that road. But what he, he could have won half these fights. I've seen him kick kids up for four rounds. Yeah, I, I, I've seen Jordan clearly, clearly win a couple of rounds and then think, hang on, you know, I, I, I don't want to win this. And then try his best to give away the next two rounds. I'm, I'm sure he's had a couple of rollickings about that. Uh, Steve Robinson's a good example from the past, isn't he? You know, Steve was a journeyman, finally got given his opportunity and just turned his career around completely. Right, my first round, round three, you must be joking. And it's the Eubank-Marcus Morrison fight. Now, I know Marcus is 23 and three, which is a good record. And, and you know, you know, you're hanging that one good win over Emmanuel Blandamore in Italy, who I think was getting on a bit. Then let's be fair. But you know, he's only beaten five guys with winning records. Um, you've got you back the Lino, three of his last four fights. You know, Koroboff, the gal we beat to, Jules Groves, even the win against you know a simple win was against a light heavyweight at least. I think JJ McDonough now. You know, I can see why, you know, the, the fight, why Marcus Morrison says yes. He's a prize fighter. He fights some money. You make myself, he can't believe he's not. I'm not. But, you know, I can't believe that, you know, the promoters, you know, Sowlands, Eddie Hearn, who, are, you know, have a lot of time for both of them, you know, I really think this is, is right. I, I, I think it's, it's bad matchmaking, really border on dangerous matchmaking. I think here is a case of the boxing border control saying something, and that's not to say Marcus Morrison is a bad fighter. It's just the level that he's being ex ex expected to step up. I know he's got to take the chance of his offer to him. He's in lockdown. He hasn't boxed for a year. He's got mouse to feed, I guess. But 
you know, sometimes you've got to draw a line how far you go with these fights. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just hope that Morrison was down the list of opponents. You know, I, I hope he tried a few people. I just hope that Marcus Morrison wasn't up at the top of the list. We were complaining about Kel Brook a couple of weeks yeah. ago, weren't we? And this is uh, way, way, way worse than that. Uh, you don't like saying uh, you, you feel bad for people before the first bell, but I, I actually do. You know, Marcus is, is in a tough spot here. You know, it could be it could be a horrendous night for him, couldn't it? Everyone's going to be after on after beyond their awares for this. Marcus has got that style where he will get clipped. Um, I just hope he can get through it safe. But the sad thing is, he's got no chance of winning. Everyone knows that before the first bell. Yeah, which you don't often see, John and Steve, but in those kind of fights, you see it with, with journeymen, uh, but you don't see it in those kind of fights. And the biggest hypocrite here is Eubank himself, because it's only a month ago that he's laughing about Liam Williams being suggested as an opponent for him. He was saying Liam Williams is not on his level. Liam Williams isn't on his level, but this is okay. Pure hypocrisy. And it, 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 listen, his name carries weight, but he fits in the same category as Terence Crawford and Danny Garcia, um, overpaid, not overhyped, but overpaid and an overinflated opinion of themselves and where they fit into the boxing landscape. Total and utter nonsense. Yeah, yeah you know what? It just disappoints me that. You know, we're going that. I mean, and I think he would have been down the list. Round four for you, John. As we're on VIP, I think we need to give uh, Bradley Ray a shout, a mention um, this week. I thought he was sensational at weekend. Um, and again, like we was talking about Virgil Ortiz's attitude, I was impressed with the way Bradley Ray ha handled the entire week and the entire business of it. You know, quite often you get these kids pitched into these lockdown shows in 50-50 fights. They've never been at a press conference and suddenly they're on a stage. They've got 10 minutes dedicated to just them and their opponent. They've got the promoter egging them on saying, can you promise the fans it's going to be a war? Are you going to give your all? Can you promise them it's going to be the fight of the night? And I think sometimes we maybe get carried away into thinking we've got to impress and their entire career depends on this next upcoming fight. If, if I don't win, I won't get a contract. And Bradley, by all accounts, handled it perfectly all week. They were all very impressed with him. And he went about his business coolly, calmly. And he was clinical and cold, wasn't he? That was a, one of the most spectacular one-sided knockouts you'll see. And I, I just thought it was impressive for a young kid on such a big stage to real handle himself well and go about his business properly without getting sidetracked by all the expectation and hopes and everything that surrounds it. Yeah, you, you said it all how good our, you know, our, his accuracy w w was a thing to behold. It, yeah, he didn't miss it with a shot he threw at them, the poor guy. Um, but you know what a lot of this is down to? There's a lot of these kids turning over now. They're going from, they're packing up at 16, turning pro at 20, without having a junior, a senior fight. You know, they're packing up as juniors at 17, going over at 22. He had that solid amateur career. And but for that, he, he wouldn't be ready for that test at 10 fights. And, you know, that, that, that's what showed that amateur background that he had, had him ready for that test. There's so many kids turning over now, going from the schoolboy straight to pro after three years out. And after 10 fights, they know they're near ready. And it goes on that thing to say, I don't like all the, you know, that proves a point I've been making for a while that all these kids that are turning over too soon. He turned over at 20, but he had a base there from, from an amateur boxing for England, boxing in big competitions. I think also, Steve, I think 
there's a grounding alongside that as well. And that, that might be his own personality, part of it. But I think also, and this is something that Steve Wood particularly is, is good at, is getting experience away from the limelight. We saw it with Josh Warrington, ruthless Ryan Doyle, John will know when he, when he got his experience and then finally got his, his opportunity on, on the stage on, on Sky. And it makes me think about, you know, some of the young um, Mexicans, the, the likes of Barrera, Juan Manuel Marquez and Canelo, where they might have had 20, 25 fights before you even hear about them. That sort of learning your craft away from the glare and the spotlight. There's a lot to be said for that. And I think over here, nobody does it better than Steve Wood. Um, round five, over to you, Alex. Right. Um, of course, we lost the marvellous one uh, last week at the age of 66. I mean, I still can't believe it. And it's right that the, the tributes have, have flowed. I, I the, the, the point is, is he the ultimate middleweight throughout all of history? And it's difficult to compare generations. I know um, my old pal Colin Hart with, with vast experience, he's a huge uh, Carlos Monzon fan. He would never hear of, of anyone beating Monzon, whose jab was terrific. But Hagler, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, of course, one of the best ever, but as a welterweight, really, Hagler, I think, is too big for a fighter, even like Sugar Ray Robinson. Um, and of course, Sugar Ray Leonard kind of, he choreographed the end of Hagler's career, really, didn't he? So I, I think Hagler is the ultimate dude. It's so cool. He could fight you, he could box you, he could walk through whatever you had, and then he could come out sn snarling and smiling at the other end. So for me, you know, I was a Sugar Ray Leonard fan, but I think if I'm being honest, if I had my time again and I was to become a fan now, if I had to choose between Leonard or Hagler, I think I'd probably plump for Hagler now. Yeah. Well, you know what? You mentioned it being the ultimate. He changed styles like changing, a, you know, flicking a switch up. You know, he could go from boxer to, you know, pressure to warmonger, just, just that simply as he, as he went through those gears. But... Just something you said there on the in the in round four, stinging the towel about Bradley Ray and what fighters he had thirty five fights on undercards before he um, went at this. It proves you know the point you were making. The, the other thing about him as well, he was almost impossible to to mentally beat, wasn't he? Up until the yeah. final fight of his career, actually. But he, he, the way he used to train, the way he used to live his life, very much like Hopkins and and Mayweather, never out of shape, probably never more than a stone, if that, overweight right throughout his career. He could be caught, he could be hurt. I've got no doubt he badly damaged hands and everything, but you would never have been able to tell it by his face and his his attitude towards it. Very impossible to discourage pretty much throughout his entire career. And Let me ask you this, boys. More difficult to beat. Just briefly, John, do you think he, he would have regretted in later life boxing Sugar Ray Leonard orthodox for as long as he did in that fight? He must do, must he? He must drive him mad. Look what the thing that made him so successful, and he gave yeah. it away for four rounds. He must, he must think about it, even if, even if he thinks it was the right tactics for that fight. He must still think, what if? He must do. Well, yeah. he has to. Because he after, after one round against Mugabe, didn't he? One yeah. round after Mugabe, when he got bullied, and he, he literally southpaw, and then it was a different fight. Yeah. But yeah, he would never admit it. But yeah, definitely, Marvin was too, be too proud to admit he got it wrong. Final one, round six. Will it be all white on the night? It's William White, Povetkin, Alexander Povetkin rematch this weekend. And just wanted to get a quick verdict how we all think it will go. Um, 
I think it was a really good move of Dillian White to bring Harold Knight into the team because he's got a lot of experience. I was around Harold in the Lennox Lewis days when he was assistant trainer and he was really well thought of. I think he was one of the few people put in that Lewis camp from, you know, right away through it. Who, you know, he was there before Manny Stewart. Um, I think Povetkin, it wasn't a Hail Mary punch last time. It's a punch he's thrown for years. We know he could hardly walk, you know, but he still threw that shot and the COVID benefits Dylan, you know, even being in the, in the longer delay at the rematch, been in November, I think a lot more people would have fancied Povetkin. But you know what? I've got a feeling Povetkin can do him again this weekend, even though he's a, he's a massive underdog. Just got this feeling he can find a shot again. Although Harold Knight will be drumming into Dillian, don't, don't, you know, when you're on top, don't get excited like last time. I, I'm, I'm quite, quite big on White to win this. Um, but, and the COVID, you know, Povetkin was blowing, was blowing quite early last time. And the guy's been seriously, seriously ill with his COVID apparently. And it's not going to help him. He's 42 years old. who's just come off a, a respiratory illness. Um, but what happens when White gets hurt? He's going to get hit. Dillian always gets hit. Willie, he's been in a lot of wars. Will he be able to stand up to it again? I don't know. And that's the one thing that, that maybe 10% that's making me just edge. Maybe Povetkin can do it again. But if you ask me, I'd, I'd be pretty big on Dillian White stopping him. All week I was with Povetkin. He's a better fighter than White. He always has been. There's no question about it. Um, but if you look since the AJ, if you, since the AJ defeat, He's kind of huffed and puffed past Huey Fury and then the draw with Michael Hunter. There are, there is slippage. There's regression there. And while that was thousands of hours and decades of, of technique and talent honed into that one moment in the first fight, don't believe the narrative that it was a lucky punch. Don't oh. believe the narrative that he was on his way out. They were flash knockdowns. Dillian White was on top, yes. He was building a platform, yes. But no more than that. Whatever you're told this week, no more than that. However, I think the timing, and maybe we'll see a little bit of AJ versus Reese too, Maybe we'll see Dillian White be a little more circumspect, circumspect, box behind the jab, and maybe take it into the second half of the fight where he will win it. I, I, Povetkin's a better fighter than White, no doubt about it, but time is catching up. Yeah. yeah you know what? You know, and of course, he, he might get, you know, revenge this time. You know, bookies fancy it. You two guys do. You know, I'm, I'm a, a lone soldier here. Um, but do you think the damage was done to White's career in the first fight in the sense that even now, if he wins, he's so far down the pecking order for a world title fight. It's 12, 18 months away at least. And even then, he might, be, he might have to hope that the belts have been fragmented by then, which is very, very possible. You know, like in 12, 18 months, you know, Joshua Fury could be gone and the other one, though, and the belts are all over the place again. But by that time, he's going to be 35 or getting on for 35 years of age. Yeah, and he's, he's been not cold twice. You know, Joshua knocked him cold. Povetkin's knocked him cold. Joseph Park has had him dancing a few times in their fight. And I don't think yeah. Park, well, you know my opinions on Park. Right? I think people like Fabio Wardley should be targeting him. Um, Chisora's nearly beat him a couple of times. Um, what... I, I agree. I agree with everything you've both said. I think Povetkin's a much better fighter, but he's 42 years old. Um, 
But I do think the, the first defeat will have lasting repercussions for White. Um, not just in slowing down his world title bid, but also in the way people think about him. You know, he's, he's not, he's been just been not called by a 41 year old. And he, I think that's a very, very difficult thing to shake off. For one thing about Dillian, what? he's always exciting to watch. Yeah, he okay. wants to fight. And by, the, and by the way, take out Fury and then AJ, take them out. They're at the top level. Everyone else is in behind. There's layers to the heavyweight division. And Dillian is in the second tier alongside Parker, uh, alongside Huey Fury and, and all of those guys. So they could, they could like this, the, the 70s, they could, they could fight each other every other week on the undercard of big fights. No problem. Can you, can I'm you imagine Joe Joyce against Dillian White? Oh, yeah. beautiful. Oh, we'll have that. We'll have that every day of the week. We'll have that pay per view with Senator Zora Parker. That's oh, I would good. love Joe Joyce and Dillian White. We'll buy that. We'll buy that. Um, <laughs> fellas, um, thanks for this. Week. Before we go, just have a quick word from both of you because I think we should, can't go out and mention it. The passing of Lee Noble. I just want to say, you know, mm. I've watched, watched Lee box and knew him many years ago. Um, what give me such, you know, love for him over the last couple of years was a positivity in every post he put on social media. If you follow him on Facebook, it was something else. And, uh, you know, tragic, tragic that he lost his battle. And, uh, you know, so many people battle hard with um, that disease, which is the devil, cancer. But I thought um, the way he conducted himself through it showed what um, a real man he was. It was a, a real horrible long battle as well, Lee had, wasn't it? You know, yeah. some people get told they've got it and be fight, and then he, mercifully it's over quite quickly. But but Lee had a, a real long battle, didn't he? And he, he never he never gave into it. Uh, yeah, it's terrible, really. He was a, a good lad, Lee, and a good fighter. Yeah, well, one of the most famous lines is that it's the hope that kills you. And yeah. There occasionally seemed like there was glimmers of, of hope. I called a, a few of um, Lee's fights when he when he was boxing in the old Box Nation days, and you knew what you were going to get with with him. And I suppose you, when you see and hear someone talk in the position that he was in, you, you tend to reflect and think how you would deal with it if you were in their shoes. And 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 I just used to look and listen to him with absolute awe. I mean, just. I just can't believe having that strength of character and that positivity. And um, yeah, real shame, real shame. Well, thanks, Alex. Beautiful words there from you, as usual, at the end, Steedo. But fellas, I can't thank you both for joining us. John, thank you. Steedo, get back to your wardrobe and count those Adidas tracks, <laughs> mate. Um, or as Mrs. Steedo was counting them for you, someone has to count them for you. And uh, enjoy wherever you are watching horse racing this week and commentating. Cheers, boys. Appreciate it. Thanks all right. Time, fellas. For all boxing, info, news, and latest interviews, amateur and pro across the north, click and subscribe. VIP boxing promotions. Also, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.